As we walk by faith and not by sight, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. This is the very Word of God. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus And came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And told them to give her something to eat. 
May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? Almighty God, we thank you for your word, its veracity, its power, its use in our lives, but we thank you above all that it is your word. We pray even as we read and sing about and reflect upon your word that you would actually increase our faith as we trust in your word. We thank you that your word is being preached in many pulpits around the world this morning. We thank you for faithful ministries. We pray for our brothers and sisters at Grace Cochran Church as they seek to deliberate about the prospects of Pastor Josh Carey in his candidating at that church. We just pray you give them wisdom. We thank you for the ministry of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. and the ministry of Mark Dever, uh, a church that has prayed for our church. We thank you for that ministry and how we even enjoy the fruit of their work. Protect them, guide them, help them in that ministry. Lord, we thank you for this church and what you are doing here. We thank you for bringing new faces here. We pray, Lord, that we would be a place where newcomers can come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they can be saved, that they can be sanctified, that they can be given hope. There are many suffering in our church, Lord, many struggling, many feeling great pressure, feeling pressed to the point of despair, feeling either physically or financially or emotionally. They're just under pressure, Lord. I pray that you would grant them relief according to your mercy. Lord, we are concerned with where things are at in our country and in our province. Lord, we've got this election coming up. Uh, we know we aren't to trust in princes, but we ask, Lord, that you would just grant mercy to us, grant, grant mercy to this province. We don't deserve it. We just don't. But we know you're good, and so we want to ask you to act to restrict evil and grant mercy to this province, to this city, this city that does not deserve it. We ask that you would just be kind and grant mercy, even though you are completely entitled to bring judgment. So, Lord, help us to be those who seek your face, not those who turn away from you. And, Lord, even as we consider your word, even on this Mother's Day, we ask, Lord, that you would give mothers hope today, that they would be encouraged, that in all of their exhaustion and their desperation, that you would give them comfort and encouragement. And for all the people here, that we would look even to the hand of Jesus Christ, that he would nourish us, even as our own Savior. For we pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is, it's the Lord's Day, which is the most important thing, but it is also Mother's Day. And I think maybe it should be called Exhausted Mother's Day. I don't know, maybe there's a mother out there that isn't exhausted, but uh, that would be rare. And I think every mom on Mother's Day 
She has to somehow summon up extra strength because she's supposed to be super happy and super, you know, feeling awesome even though she's totally exhausted. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not getting that right, but I kind of think I'm right about that. And, and it's one of the things about this sense of exhaustion and even desperation that many moms feel that many, many of all, all of us, I think, feel in different ways at different times. And, and it's tough when you feel exhausted, you feel desperate. I'm reminded of it's coming on 10 years ago. I mean, it's 10 years, wow. But uh, some of you may remember uh, you were here uh, 10 years ago when our house flooded in the, in the 2013 floods. And that was an experience for my family of being utterly desperate. We were just so exhausted. Our minds were numb. The pe- and, and it's not like, oh, well, there's just us and we're the only numb ones. It's actually all of our neighbors, they were, they were the same. They were completely desperate, completely exhausted, and there was nobody that you could kind of lean on for help. Thankfully, we had the church that, that came to us and supplied so much help to us and relief. But ultimately, even that wasn't enough. We had to come with our desperation and come back to God himself. And that's probably the biggest lesson we got from that season. But Mark chapter 5 is a couple of episodes articulating what it is to be desperate. And, and so, if you're an exhausted mother here, or you're an exhausted dad, or you're just a desperate person here this morning, this is actually a word for you. Because these episodes have been included by Mark to actually illustrate what desperate people do. And so the first episode, as we saw, as we read, involves this this fellow named Jairus. He was a synagogue official. And then his daughter, who was close to death. And then the second episode is just a simple woman who is in a desperate situation regarding her health. Now, both instances, in both cases, they show people who have given up on relying on their own strength or on relying on the strength of others. Even as when, during the flood, we were tempted to do, was just rely on the strength of others. But even that wasn't, wasn't enough because people, they get tired too or they can't come through in the ways that you need. These folks instead were desperate to have the strength and the power of God that He would be the one to give them hope and give them deliverance. So in what follows, we're going to see the desperation of of this father first. Then we're going to see the desperation of this very sick woman. And then thirdly, we're going to see then the desperation of the father that is answered by the power and the compassion of the incarnate Son of God. So that's what we're looking at here this morning. Now, as we think about Jairus, this synagogue official, I've just got to ask yourself, ask all of you, just maybe 
Maybe, have you ever had access to somebody who's powerful? Maybe you know somebody who is in a position of power in the government. I just prayed for the Alberta elections upcoming. Maybe you know somebody who is in that kind of inner circle in the government or in the inner circles at City Hall. You know, what is it to be an insider in the halls of power? Maybe you've thought that if only, if only I could have access to the influence and power and prestige that powerful people have. If I could just get some access to that, then, then I could make things better. But most of us, we don't have that kind of access. We just don't. We're just, we're just ordinary people, just you know, little people, as you will. Just little people who don't have access to the good and the great and the powerful. But in the case of Mark chapter 5, Jairus was a ruler in the synagogue. And that meant he had access to power. He had access. He had access to the Jewish ruling elite. He had access to those who were ceremonially powerful in the synagogue system. They He had access even to the guys, the priests, who in the Jewish understanding of the day, they're the guys who had the most direct access to God. And Jairus had access to them. So, he's in a pretty good position. This is a man who didn't need to find powerful friends. He had them. He had the most powerful people available in the Jewish nation. And yet, like anybody, here's Jairus, and for all that power and all that access and all that prestige, nobody was able to heal Jairus' daughter. Now, like I say, I don't, I don't have a lot of experience being around powerful people. Um, I've heard stories about people. I, I, prayed, I prayed for Mark Dever in Capitol Hill Baptist in, the, in my pastoral prayer. I've heard Mark Dever talk about people who would come to Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., come from all over the U.S., and they would come there and they would think that if they could just get inside the halls of power, then they could have access to these powerful people and they could bring change. They would fix things in society. They would, they would move the ball forward. They would bring renewal to society. And Mark Dever tells a story very frequently about how these people come and they become so utterly disillusioned that, well, they can't really get anything done. They can't actually fix anything. It doesn't really, there there isn't actually a whole lot of power there, even though they think that there's power there. And actually, interesting, in that situation, many of those folks, then they end up coming to Mark Dever's church and getting saved. So that's, that's the good part of that story, and he's got lots of testimonies that way. But this was the case for Jairus in the first century. For all of his access to God through the Jewish synagogue system, 
Jairus could find nobody who could solve the problem of his daughter's illness and ultimately her death. See, Jairus was desperate. He's desperate. He'd looked everywhere. He tried everything there was to try, and there was no help to be found. And as I'm saying this, you'll start thinking, yeah, I've had a situation in my life where I've tried everything. I've tried it all. I've I've searched out every pathway, every channel, every avenue with no results. He'd look everywhere and nothing nothing was powerful powerful enough. And that was the case until Jesus of Nazareth came on the scene. Jesus of Nazareth came into his presence, into his life. Now, this would be kind of a, a, a boring story or an inconsequential story if it weren't for the fact that Jairus turned to Jesus and begged him to heal his daughter, to deliver his daughter. And, and see, I, what's really important to see at this point is, is that Jairus bypassed the entire Jewish system, the entire synagogue system, the entire old covenant system. He just bypassed all that. He just, he just skipped all that. Because he'd been there, done that, as we say. He turned away from it. It's turning really away from the whole system that he himself was a part of. And he chose to take an even more direct route to God himself because he appealed to Jesus. It's It's a remarkable thing. It's like you don't think that there's a split between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in this story. But that's exactly what's going on. Jairus as a Jew, a faithful Jew, is making a break. He's going to go direct to Jesus. No more of this indirect stuff. Now, maybe, maybe if you were there, you, you, you can imagine what the others in the synagogue would have been saying and thinking. What they would have questioned Jairus about. You know, why, why is he appealing to this outsider? Why is he talking to this man from Nazareth? Why is he looking to this man who is no more than a carpenter or a son of a carpenter? Why is, G- why is Jairus going to him instead of relying on the existing power structures that are available to him? But that's, of course, why the story of Jairus and his daughter is included in Mark chapter 5. Because Mark wants to show that Jairus saw Jesus for who he was and was willing to seek Jesus, even if it meant bypassing and disregarding or discounting the Jewish synagogue system. I mean, it's a remarkable, epic move. Why? Because Jairus was desperate. He's desperate. He's desperate. He didn't care. He didn't care what the synagogue rulers thought. He didn't care if it wasn't the proper thing to do. He didn't care that he wasn't following the proper channels. He wanted 
Jesus. And he knew that Jesus was the only one who could help him. As I, as I read this, you know, it's a, it's a remarkable feature of the person who truly believes in Jesus Christ that when they are converted, there is this sense that they don't care. They don't care what other people think. They don't care what their family thinks. They don't care what people at work think. They don't care what people are going to say. They are going to believe in Jesus and trust Him and forget the rest. They're going to follow Him. And that is what Jairus was doing. It's just an interesting picture. Now, Jesus, we're told, He went with Jairus without saying a word. And then it kind of leaves us in suspense. You know, he, he goes with him and, 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 you know, that's all, you know, verse 24. He went with him. And that's it. So we're in suspense. We have to wait to see what Jesus will do, and which we're going to see in a moment. But in this first episode, that's the whole thing. We don't want to miss it. Is that Jairus was desperate and he bypasses the power structures he had come to rely on. And, and that's just, like, to start off with, just consider yourself. Like, this is, this is, like, think of all of the power structures, if I can call them that, in your life. All the things that you look to to give you security, to give you hope, to give you deliverance. You know, it doesn't, you know, you know, you know the stuff. What is it? Is your bank account? Your retirement fund? Maybe your ability to keep yourself healthy. Maybe it's, maybe it's the circle of contacts in your network that you have. Maybe it's how you have access to prestige or power or status. Cloud on social media or you know, how lovely your family is or, or, or your, your Facebook family. You know, that's kind of what we have now, right? All those friends, right? It's always the case that when someone has relied on the power of man for so long, then, then something happens. Something bad happens. You know, talking to non-Christians, you know, that, like, they're all fine. I don't need your Jesus. I'm good. They'll say that. But then something bad happens. Something bad happens. And then all of their reliances, all of the power that they relied upon, all that structure, it's gone and they don't know what to do. They become desperate. But they don't know to look to Jesus. And it's about, right about that time when people, they've been relying on power structures and something bad happens, their daughter gets sick or something else happens, and then, then they pull out that mythical Bible verse. You know the one. God won't give you more than you can handle. If you've quoted that recently, you can repent. Of course God gives you more than you can handle. Of course He does. Because He wants you to rely on Him, not on yourself. There's mothers in the room here thinking, how am I going to get through this Mother's Day? It's so, going to be so busy. I have to do all these things today. 
you know, got to go out for dinner. No, I don't, whatever you're doing. Maybe it's like, oh no, I'm, I'm being looked after. Maybe that's the case for you moms. That, that's great. But when you're crushed by circumstances, when all the things you relied upon, the, the power, the fame, the health, the strength, the wits, the network, when all of that crumbles in a moment, what do you do? To whom do you go? Well, of course, the point is you go back to God. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth I desire nothing beside you. My strength and my heart may fail, but you are my strength and my portion forever. That's the point, is going back to God. And the history of Israel is the same. History of Israel. Israel repeatedly trusted in itself, or it trusted in those that they could look to, you know, trusting in false gods, trusting in idols, trusting in other, other nations. So the history of the golden calf after being delivered out of Egypt, or trusting in a Goliath-like champion. They, they wanted to have their own Goliath. So what do they say? God, we reject you as king. We're, we're going to get our own Goliath. So then they get Saul. And they trust in him. And it's all a disaster. Israel repeatedly went back to Egypt. They repeatedly relied on other nations. And in captivity in Egypt or in exile in Babylon, Israel failed to learn its lesson and repeatedly needed to be corrected in order to be brought back to trust in God alone and His power, not in the power structures of men. So you're not the first, I'm not the first, we're not the first people who have failed to trust God in His power and instead have relied on the power of men. But that's kind of the point. That's That's why this is here in the Bible. That's why Mark has it here. And so if you're desperate today, a desperate mom, a desperate dad, you need to consider the desperation of Jairus. And to reinforce this point, then Mark moves to this second episode. The second point is the desperation of this woman. So you read, great crowd followed him, verse 24b, and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So this is all along the way. As Jesus is going with Jairus, we're introduced to this suffering woman. A a woman who, she's got this medical condition. She has this condition described as a flow of blood. Now, I'm not going to describe the gynecology of this situation, but I, but I want everybody to know that this is a woman who has suffered for 12 years. So, this has been a hard, I mean, it's not even a season. It, it's mostly, it likely, most of her adult life. Suffering. Now, as you know, sometimes in our attempts to be helpful, we can actually offer sufferers a lot of cold comfort. And and this suffering woman, maybe she had people telling her, hey, you need to get some help. You need to go see a doctor. It's very well-intentioned, and well-intentioned people 
They would have told her that, to go see a doctor. But what happens? What happens? And this may be then directly applicable in your life. What happens when we have problems to which the experts cannot help? They cannot fix the problems that we bring to them. You're looking for help, you're looking for hope, and the normal pathway would be to go to the experts. Jairus could could have gone to the powerful. This woman, she's looking for experts. Doctors, in this case. Going to these doctors. And and not only that, but she'd gone repeatedly because there were many physicians and she'd spent all that she had. So she really looked to these experts. She tried every avenue. But then, when the experts don't help, she suffered again. Not only naturally in her infirmity, but she also suffered at the hands of the experts. See, it's a special kind of trauma to be hurt by those who are tasked to help you. It's a special kind of trauma. And so this applies to medical professionals. It applies to emergency services people. It applies to pastors. It applies to Christian leaders. That's why there is such a thing as church hurt. Why? Because those who are tasked to help, when they hurt... It hurts even worse. Or if you're here and you've, you've, you've go, kind of gone through it, you've been through the doctors, and not to malign doctors, it's just there's things of which the doctors are limited in their ability to help with. And just like this woman, you become desperate. This woman was desperate. She couldn't look to the intellectual power, the expertise of the doctors anymore. It was over. She she didn't have any more money. That's it. She'd exhausted every avenue. They hurt her. They didn't help her. So where does she go? To whom can she appeal? So she comes in the midst of the crowd. She's in the crowd. It's just a crowd of people. She doesn't like have special access. It's just a crowd. And in her desperation, all that she wants is to have merely just a little bit of access to Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son. She doesn't want much. She just wants a little bit of access. That's all. And so she comes then with this true begging spirit. It's an absolute desperation and all that she does, she doesn't even talk to him. She just grabs a hold of the hem of his garment. That's it. That's the only access. She can't even look him in the eye face to face. She's just grabbing a hold of the hem of his garment. That's all she wants. Now at this point, commentators look at this and there may be a sense in which Yes, she's coming to Jesus as a subject who's coming toward a king because in the ancient world, the king 
would have the insignia, his own insignia on the hem of his garment, kind of as a banner. And of course, even on the edge of his robe, Jesus himself in his return is described in Revelation 19.16. It says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So there could be that sense in her mind, or maybe we can just make that connection to Revelation 19, that she's grabbing a hold of him with that, that insignia as the royal king. My thought is probably she's just simply trying to grab on, just get this a little bit of access to Jesus. She maybe didn't have all of the sense of royalty, but she certainly was thinking of him in his majesty and his divinity because she was desperate. She was desperate. She needed the power that only God possessed. That's the power she needed. She needed an extraordinary, miraculous healing. And it's interesting, it's it's one of the great mysteries of the New Testament that Jesus, surrounded by people who are pressing in on Him and touching Him, clamoring to Him, Jesus, the true man, nevertheless could say with great specificity, He could say, who touched me? And, 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 you know, who, who, who touched my garments? And, and you, you know, you, you, you get this. He, he, verse 30, Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. Consider the mystery of the, the limits of the true man, Jesus Christ, and yet the infinite power of the incarnate Son. That there's power, healing power there. So in this great mystery, the disciples, they, they, they were tracking. The disciples, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? This doesn't, this doesn't compute. Why would you think that there's something... There's a particular person who's touching you and and that there's power going out to that person but not to everyone. Very very particularized. But the great mystery is there and yet the point for us then to see is that Jesus Himself, with all of His attention, with all of His focus, is oriented to to the healing of this woman. This woman who so desperately wanted to have access to Him. Of course, the woman, verse 33, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Him and told Him the whole truth. It is... This is a, a blue ribbon miracle. I mean, you just got when you read these stories of this kind of healing, as she had said, immediately, verse 29, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease right there. 
When you, when you read these, the temptation in our secularized world is you just think, oh, this, that's fairy tale stuff. But there is no medical practice, there's no other treatment, there is no other intervention where someone like this woman could simply touch something or someone and then be completely healed of an infirmity that she'd had for over a decade that nobody had been able to heal before, and she could do it simply by touching Jesus. There is nothing that compares to it. I've, as many of you, I've been beside many hospital beds. And anybody who works in healthcare, they'd be able to cite this. You see things that are unexplainable. And people will speak of healings and dramatic changes as miraculous in the hospital. And yet I'd suggest that what like that what is miraculous in relation to Jesus Christ is on an entirely different plane. It is so high above. It is a different level of miraculousness more than anything else that we're used to saying is a miracle. Even though such a miracle, such a dramatic reversal is certainly of the Lord. And yet these are miracles that Jesus did that are on a different plane. Because we don't think in those terms of God's ability to do that, then we fail to ascribe glory that is due to Him. Jesus created a miracle for this long-suffering woman. Now, this is quite a bit different than thinking the so-called faith healers who don't seem to be able to have, they just don't have anything like this power that Jesus had. You don't want to be watching them on TV, you don't want to be trusting them, or give them your money, just flee them. But you can see the uniqueness of Jesus and you can trust in His power to heal. I believe that Jesus is able to heal anyone. But the hope of healing is in the ultimate healing of the resurrection. The resurrection from the dead where everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will be healed. And that's the hope. The point again, though, that we have to ask, why is this here? Why is this healing of this this woman here? Why is it situated, sandwiched between talking about Jairus and his daughter? And the question asking, why is this here? Well, that's kind of what you're learning if you're going to the Simeon Trust Bible studies on Tuesday. Why is this passage in the Bible here? What's it doing? And the point is, the unifying feature is the desperation. The desperation that only Jesus can solve. She was desperate and she couldn't rely on the power structure. She couldn't rely on the expertise. All this that she was supposed to rely on. They had failed her. They could not fix her. Instead, they left her worse off than when she first started going to the clinics. And so then this becomes extremely applicable to many here because there are many people here who are suffering, really suffering in pain, suffering in silence, suffering, maybe some people know about it, 
suffering, looking for answers, looking for help, looking for relief. You're looking for relief. You're looking to have an escape from this suffering. And you've been desperate. Maybe you maybe came today desperate. But you see where this woman, where her desperation led her? It didn't lead her to ultimate despair, which you are tempted with and I'm tempted with. It didn't lead her to suicide. It led her to Jesus. It led her to Jesus Christ. So without presumption, without assumption, without arrogance, without demand, she simply humbled herself and in her desperation she sought to reach out and be close to Jesus. And that's all that she wanted. And and that's the question. Like, is that all that you want? Is that all you want? You just want to be close to Jesus. Or do you want all these power structures and all this expertise to be nice and safely secured and well-ordered so that it's there for you to rely on? Or do you just want Jesus? She just wanted Jesus, and Jesus said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And so, metaphorically then, the question for us this morning is, will you cling to the hem of His garment? Will you cling to just that little access, it's all I want. Forsaking everything else, I just want a little bit of access to you, Jesus. That's all I want. But then that brings us then to that third episode. Back to Jairus and his daughter, which is my third point. Now, as we see this third episode, the commentator James Edwards, he explains what has happened in the meantime while this woman is getting healed. He says this, quote, The interruption so profitable to the woman, has cost the life of Jairus' daughter. Imagine that. Such a good thing happened to this woman. But in the meantime, Jairus is... We didn't get to my daughter in time. We didn't get there. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. (laughs) Tall order, Jesus. They just said, my daughter's dead. All of my fears have just come and crashed down on me. All my desperation, it's even worse. Now there is no hope. It's over. He says, do not fear, only believe. Jesus had to remind Jairus that fear could make him despair and give up. It's over. There's no point to life anymore. We're too late. You didn't come through, God. She's dead. But Jesus simply wanted Jairus 
to believe in him. Verse 37, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Now, it's generally understood that for Mark, that Peter is one of the sources for much of Mark's material. So Peter then would have been an eyewitness of all of this sad event. He would have been there. So that's just a, that's just a little evidential bit there. Verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. Now, many commentators will note the cultural context here. This, this thing that happened in that culture where the visible grief is, is intended to be shown and shown off almost. The crying is not to oneself. It is loud. It's for everybody to know. Do you know how badly I feel? Jesus then asked the question. Verse 39. When he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. So, so this Jesus does not fit the program. He has a completely different take on what's going on. But this funeral, that is, that people are howling and making a big noise and, and just tears and cries, and they turn on a dime. And it says, verse 40, and they laughed at him. <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you... You? What? What do you mean she's sleeping? She's dead. You're an idiot. They're laughing at him. They're laughing. They're mocking Jesus. See, I mean, we should say, this is often the case with sinners in their grief. You've maybe been to a funeral as I have. People without Christ don't really know how to be genuine, to be honest. I've seen it lots. They know they can't really feel bad enough. And they don't look to God in it. So they know they're supposed to have a certain amount of drama, but they don't really know. Do I, do I, have, do I have lots of bawling and crying? Does that kind of make everybody show and see how bad I feel? But it can all be a bit phony. And these people, they switched from bawling to laughing. They're laughing and mocking Jesus. And it's a foreshadowing. It foreshadows the mockery that Jesus would get when he hung on the cross, dying himself. So he put them all outside. And he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Now, it's, it's just a remarkable thing. It's such a tender moment. Because Jairus and his wife, we don't even know the name of this grieving mother. Mother's Day, I mean, every mother, every mom knows what this woman was feeling. They, you, you know, you can think about the death of a child. You can think about harm coming to your child. And Jesus, verse 41, is so tender taking her by the hand, this dead girl, taking the dead girl by the hand, which, of course, 
Even that would have been defiling at that point. But he takes her by the hand. He touches her. She's dead. And he says to this dead body, he says, Talitha kumi, Aramaic, speaking in their language, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Two words, tenderly spoken, yet creating life from death. Creating it, ex nihilo, out of nothing. She's dead, and he causes her to live. Verse 42, and immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. This, I mean, I don't, know if there's, I don't know if there's any significance comparing the 12 to the 12 years of the flow of blood for the woman or the 12 tribes of Israel. I, maybe, maybe it's something. I don't think it means too much. The point is, she stood up, she's walking, and they're all immediately overcome with amazement. So you go from desperation, Jairus, his wife, desperation. They go from there, desperation, to wonder, to wonder, to amazement. They, they go from despair to this sense of awe. Have you ever been depressed? Sunday school? Talking about depression, mental health. Have you ever been depressed? Can you believe that you could ever move from being depressed to being filled with awe and wonder? Jesus is able to do it. Moving from deep sadness to joy. There's people in here that are stuck in sadness and you're still looking to the power structures and the experts and all your accoutrements and you're not looking to Jesus for your joy. And then, verse 43, he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. It's just, it's just almost a throwaway, simple little detail. But it shows that the girl was a real living person who needed to eat, and only someone there would have known that, yeah, he said, go get her something to eat. It's true. It's real. What does this leave us with then? We've seen this intense desperation. And this desperation, the desperation of the suffering woman, the desperation of Jairus and his wife as they looked on the suffering and then death death of their daughter, the point here that Mark is showing us that Jesus wants us to know is that Jesus is here for you specifically if you are at the end of your rope. And my guess is, if you aren't at the end of your rope today, you're pretty close to it, or you've been close to it, or you're going to be at the end of your rope tomorrow. It's not too far away. Desperation is the plight of the fallen sinner, of all of us of fallen humanity. We're all desperate. And we look to all of these things to give us relief. 
But could it be that God is leading you, and this is for you, specifically you sitting here. This is where you want to be tracking with me. Even if you aren't tracking all this, you want to be tracking. Because it could be that the bad things that seem to be happening to you that make you desperate, it could be that God intends to show you that as you grab on to power structures, as you think you need to get the power of men, the power of prestige, the power of money, or you need to go and find the experts and get the expertise and gain more education and get it all in place and know all the stuff and have it all in control, that you have all of that and God wants to strip it all from you so that you would desperately want just a little bit of access. <laughs> I, just, I just need Jesus exclusively. And many of you sit here and you think Jesus is a great notion. Yep, Jesus, beneficial. Let's put him over in the expertise pile. Or, sure, let's put him over in the power pile. But that's where he, that's where he sits. And you come to church and like, oh yeah, Jesus, yep, I got him over here. But God will not be satisfied with that. He will strip it all away. And you wonder why you feel desperate. Could it be that the Lord is crowding you to Himself so that you will fight through it all and merely grab on to the hem of His garment? That you will trust Jesus to say even to you, even to you, like a little child, Talitha Kumi, my little child, arise. Do you believe He's able to do that for you? I pray that you would have your faith increased or have faith for the first time to believe that this Christ, this one, is able to bring that deliverance, even salvation, to you. He is able. All you have to do is cling to Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help all those who are desperate here today. And Lord, even help those who aren't desperate enough. I pray that we would all be crowded to you, all all of us forsaking all of, the, all of the power and all of the expertise, all of the self-reliance, and that we would put our faith in you exclusively. Make it be more than just words. Create true faith in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.